Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. And you may find it on page 1596 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his cult custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke, spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what, you have heard, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many, uh, many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Word of the Lord. Let's do a quick survey. Raise your hand if you have an Android smartphone like Samsung or Google. All right, my brethren, the Lord be with you. All right, let's do the, uh, let's do the thing. All right. Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. It's okay. God still loves you. No, I'm just joking, right? Um, my first smartphone actually was an iPhone 3G back in 2008. I'm sure some of you remember that. Although I've been a loyal Android user ever since, uh, then I'm, I'm not anti-iPhone. In fact, I am open to going back to an iPhone. So I watch, uh, every year I watch Apple's big announcement of their you know, new iPhone lineup, just to see if I should go back. If you ever watched one of these iPhone announcement events, you know that they, you know, they, they describe their new iPhone as this flawless, life-changing, you know, heaven-sent technology. They talk it up like it's going to be the last phone that you will ever need to buy. 
And they always have these catchy slogans, right? I mean, back in 2008, the slogan for my iPhone 3G was, there is an app for that. It's the iPhone. Solving life's dilemma one app at a time. Right? I'm sure some of you remember that if you're old enough. Um, but as soon as I got my iPhone 3G, I quickly realized that there wasn't an app for everything. Right? In 2017, the Apple, when, the Apple, when Apple announced the iPhone X, I, I seriously considered going back to an iPhone. The slogan then was, the future is here. Say hello to the future. But it turned out the future that Apple was talking about was this infamous, ugly notch on the top of your screen. It's not just Apple. Samsung, Google, Facebook, they all have these events where they talk about or hype up their new products. But their products never live up to the hype. Still, every year, people line up to get into these events because they find them entertaining and fun. So what is the secret, like, what's the secret recipe for creating all this excitement? It's simple. Tell the audience exactly what they want to hear. See, these companies focus on all the positives while ignoring or dismissing these negative things with, you know, buzzwords like much improved algorithm and more in-tuned lifestyles. Let's be honest, nobody really understands what they mean by those. They sound good, but we have no idea what they mean by those words. What we do know, however, is that those events are so successful that we see millions of, peop millions of people rushing to get their hands on the new iPhones or the new Galaxy phones or the new Pixel phones. But have you ever seen an announcement event so, go so bad that people kind of rush to kill the speaker? Well, say hello to Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4. First, let's address the elephant in the room. Some of you might be wishing that all sermons were this short. <laughs> Keep in mind, this was Jesus Christ, not Young Kwan Kim, Right? And what we, more importantly, what we read this morning is Luke's summary of the sermon. And who knows? I mean, Jesus' sermon might have been like super, super long, right? The point is, the, Luke has summarized Jesus' sermon in this particular way to show that Jesus was using this opportunity to announce his ministry. Even before the announcement, Jesus was already a popular teacher in the region of Galilee. And so when he came back to his hometown of Nazareth, the local synagogue invited him to preach. Jesus read from Isaiah 58 and 61, and the reading was about the future Messiah, meaning the anointed one, who would come to announce the arrival of God's salvation. All eyes were on Jesus. The synagogue was filled with anticipation. Everyone silently waited to hear Jesus preach. And Jesus finally said, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. With that statement, Jesus, Jesus boldly announced that he was the long-awaited Messiah and that the new era of God's salvation was already here. Blindness? Oppression? Don't worry, there's a Messiah for those things. 
the future era of God's salvation, no need to wait. The future is already here. Say hello to the future. That's some sermon, isn't it? That is some announcement. Initially, people were amazed, but soon they realized they knew this preacher. He was from Nazareth. Some of them played dreidel and green light, red light with him when they were just kids. His father was Joseph, and just the other day, his mother was once again telling that story about how she had to give birth to him in a stable. Messiah? The anointed one? No, he's simply Jesus. People became skeptical. And sensing this skepticism, Jesus says, I see that you want some proof, so here it is. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Then to drive this point home, he used two sermon illustrations, Elijah and Elisha. These two prophets ministered during one of the lowest points in Israel's history. The Israelites completely rejected them, and rejecting God's prophets meant rejecting God and his salvation. But God didn't stop saving people just because you know, his prophets were rejected by his own people. God's salvation continued elsewhere. God led Elijah and Elisha outside Israel to a couple of Gentiles who received them and experienced God's salvation as a result. That was the end of Jesus' sermon. So let me ask you a question. How did the sermon go? Was it well received? We're told that the mood in the synagogue went from amazement to doubt, from doubt to anger, and from anger to wanting to kill Jesus Christ. Jesus went from this great teacher to Joseph's son to a heretic who deserves to be thrown off a cliff. I mean, my first sermon was not great by any stretch of the imagination, but nobody wanted to kill me. So what, what went wrong here? What happened with this sermon? The stories of Elijah and Elisha made Jesus' points very clear, right? He was the long-awaited messianic prophet. And the only way to receive God's salvation for both Jews and Gentiles was to accept Jesus Christ as that prophet, as the Messiah. Of course, the last point there has a very strong implication that Jews and Gentiles were both on an equal playing field. They were both sinners in need of a Savior. And that was not what the Jewish people of Nazareth wanted to hear. It's not difficult to get people excited. Just tell them what they want to hear. And Apple, Samsung, and all those companies have mastered that. But Jesus did the exact opposite. And people rejected him, and they wanted to kill him. Have you heard of the Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson disagreed with a lot of Christian doctrines, including Jesus' divinity and his death and resurrection. So he went through the entire New Testament and got rid of everything that he disliked. Using a razor and glue, he cut and pasted only those parts that he agreed with, which were mostly about moral teachings. Jefferson rejected the real Jesus as revealed in the Bible. Instead, he created an ethics 
professor who merely said what Jefferson wanted him to say. Of course, for us, Jesus is more than an ethics professor. He is the Lord and Savior. Yet, we still wish that Jesus would say what he or what we want him to say. We wish that Jesus and Bible, for that matter, would just say what we want them to say. See, increasingly, Christians are finding problems in what Jesus and the Bible teach. It could be Jesus calling people to repent because it assumes that they are sinners. It could be Genesis 1 or Romans 1 because those two chapters are not aligned with their understanding of human sexuality. Whatever the case may be, once there is a disagreement, Jesus is no longer the Son of God who took on flesh. He's not even an ethics professor. He is just some ancient carpenter who lived in the first century Judea. And the question is, what could this first century Jewish carpenter have possibly known about 21st century North America and its unique problems? And that question is a rhetorical question. The answer is, this carpenter knows nothing. He offers nothing. Therefore, he is nothing. You see, how this train of thought can lead us to reject Jesus Christ and his teachings completely? But of course, we don't reject him or his teachings completely. I mean, we have no problem accepting the, those parts about you know, him dying for us and giving us eternal life. But do you see what is happening here? By accepting and rejecting different parts about Jesus Christ, we have already created a patchwork version of Jesus. And if the Jesus that we accept and worship is a patchwork version of Jesus, then how are we any different from Thomas Jefferson and his Bible? And if we are like Thomas Jefferson, who rejected Jesus as revealed in the Bible, how are we any different from the people of Nazareth who rejected Jesus completely? See, when we start cutting and pasting to create our own patchwork version of Jesus Christ, we, that's, the, that's the time when we start rejecting him completely because a patchwork version of Jesus is no Jesus at all. Sometimes, I wonder if Jesus was ever tempted to be a crowd pleaser or if he was ever scared for his life, when, especially when people were trying to kill him. I wonder because as Rick Britton has reminded us in the adult class, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He was tempted in every way. What if Jesus only said what the people of Nazareth wanted to hear? What if Jesus called an audible in that synagogue and said things like, salvation belongs to Jews away with Gentiles? What if Jesus said those things then? I'm sure Jesus' sermon would have been well-received, right? But Jesus did not call an audible, but simply preached the message that he had. He was able to do that because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we were reminded that Jesus, Jesus was able to resist all temptations because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this week, once again, Luke reminds us in verse 14 that Jesus came to Galilee, in the power of the Spirit. And by that power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was able to stick to the task at hand and preach the message that he received. 
Of course, Jesus understood the danger, right? He knew that his message would infuriate many and they would reject him and try to harm him. But Jesus did not come to please the crowd. He came to please the Father. His Father anointed him and sent him to preach the good news to the poor, to the prisoners, to the blind, and to the oppressed. So in the power of the Spirit, Jesus announced that the new era of God's salvation was already here and that he was the only way to salvation. As expected, the crowd became furious and tried to kill him. But as we are told in verse 30, Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. According to Daryl Bach, this is a pattern that we will see throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus preached, healed, performed miracles, but over and over people got upset. They tried to harm him, tried to kill him. I mean, here we have people trying to throw him off the cliff, but some other times they were trying to cancel him with a gotcha question. They were trying to arrest him. But each time, Jesus just went on his way. It could have been much easier if, just, if he just said what people wanted to hear, but he was never about pleasing the crowd, but he always sought to please the Father. So he just went on his way to do the things that he was asked to do by the Father. He went on his way to his cross. He went on his way to his death and to light, to, to back to his resurrection and back to his Father. And still Jesus is not done. Although we don't know what time or day, Jesus will be once again be on his way back to this world to finish the task that he announced, the work that he announced in the town of Nazareth. But before he went back to his father, though, he entrusted the same ta- that task at hand to his disciples to preach the good news to the poor, to the prisoners, to the blind, and to the oppressed. And Luke wrote another book called the book of Acts to tell us what happened when the disciples preached that good news. People again got upset. People again rejected these disciples and threatened their lives. Disciples were imprisoned, they were tortured, and most of them were martyred. So how do you think their sermons went? But they never bent under pressure. They, went, they just went on their ways to the ends of the earth. And because of their faithful commitment to that task, the good news began to spread throughout the world, and we're sitting here today as the fruits of that good news. Now Jesus has called us to be his disciples. He has entrusted us, he, he has entrusted to us the same task, to preach the good news to everyone. And if we have learned something today, then it is that not everybody will accept the good news. But we didn't need Luke to tell us that. We already know that people often reject the gospel truth because they just disagree with this or that. Some take it further, right? They become angry and they accuse the messenger of promoting hateful, outdated, irrelevant religious garbage. Knowing that preaching the good news might be met with such hostility 
knowing that puts us, put Christians under a lot of pressure. Christians might be tempted to change the message and just say what people want to hear. And unfortunately, some Christians have started accepting and rejecting, cutting and pasting different things about Jesus to create a patchwork of Jesus that the world would like. Some of our brothers and sisters have bent under pressure and forgotten that they were called to please the Father and not the crowd. Some of us might be feeling that pressure today. And if you haven't already felt that pressure, you will certainly come under that pressure. And you will be tempted to change the message and just say what the people want to hear, to please the crowd. So God reminds us today that we are called to go on our way, following the footsteps of Jesus Christ. God reminds us to go on our way as Paul, Peter, John went on their ways. God reminds us to go on our ways as Jesus went on his way to do the task at hand and preach the good news. As we go on our way, we're never going to be alone. We will have an ultimate companion because before he went, went on his way back to the Father, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his, uh, to his disciples. And Luke tells us in Acts how the Spirit-filled disciples did not bend under pressure, but continued preaching the good news that people needed to hear, not wanted to hear, but needed to hear. And that same Spirit of Jesus Christ is with us today. The Spirit's power enables us to stick to the task at hand and please our Father instead of pleasing the crowd. So we do not have to bend under pressure or please the crowd by twisting the words that we find in the Bible. No, because we have the Spirit with us. And by the, Spirit of, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can just go on our ways and faithfully preach the good news that we have received because the Spirit is with us. Will you join me in prayer? Lord our God, we sometimes feel the pressure. We see the skepticism in the eyes of our neighbors. And we feel the hostility coming our way. But help us remember that we are not called to please the crowd, the people, or the world, but we are called to please you. We are called to please you by preaching the good news that we have received. So now, by the power of your Spirit, give us strength to live out the message that we have heard today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.